You're listening to The Recovered Life Show, the show that helps people in recovery live their best recovered lives. And here is your host, Damon Frank. And welcome back to The Recovered Life Show. We're talking about relationships today. How to identify if you're in an unhealthy relationship. I'm so thrilled to be joined by my guest, Jennifer Kaplan, a therapist at Grow Counseling. How you doing, Jennifer? I am doing fabulous. Very happy to be here. How are you? I am doing great. I am so glad that you're on the show. Uh, look, we're into 2024, and a lot of people are looking at relationships, Jennifer. They're looking at the relationships that they're in. They're looking at relationships they might want to get into. And a lot of people in recovery might be doing this for the first time in recovery, and they're saying, you know what? Am I in a healthy relationship? Am I seeking out a healthy relationship? So I'm so glad to have you on the show to kind of dial in on this topic. Thank you. Yeah, I'm excited to talk with you about it. So let's talk about relationships in general, Jennifer. They're, they're tricky, right? Like they're tricky for everyone. And we're not just talking romantic relationships. We're also talking, you know, friendships or family relationships, what are the key warning signs that people might see, Jennifer, if they're in a toxic or unhealthy relationship, besides seeing some sort of TikTok video that says you are? What what are really what are what are the signs that maybe, you know, this isn't really good for you? I think there can be a lot of signs and it's very context dependent, but some things you can look for and I'll really quickly say like the obvious ones I think that most of us know would be physical abuse, domestic violence, active addiction. But I think it's really worth talking about some of the more subtle ones that aren't so overt that we could easily miss. I think not just in significant relationships, but in friendships, family, like you were discussing, a lack of reciprocity. Reciprocity is the key to any healthy relationship. So if you are in a relationship and you notice you are investing all of the energy, all of the effort, you're initiating, you're making plans, you're like thinking about doing things for the other person, attending their activities or their family events, and none of it is coming back your way. That is a really unhealthy relationship. And it sounds like not this obvious, horrible thing, but it has really bad effects on your self-esteem, self-worth, and then your mental health. Yeah, I can I definitely can I definitely can see that. You know, one of the issues I think people have in uh, in recovery in general is there's a saying kind of in 12 step groups Jennifer that that people that are alcoholic or people who are in recovery have a bad picker gene. They pick the wrong jobs, the wrong friends, the wrong relationships, right? And we know it has a little bit to do with codependency, right? Like, so people who are alcoholic attract codependence, codependence attract alcoholics, right? How do you set up a framework to make sure that you're doing this correctly? Not only just for romantic relationships, but maybe even picking a job, right? Because that's a relationship too that you have with the boss or a friend. I think some mindfulness and self-awareness and really knowing what you want and what areas you struggle with or what your triggers are before you go into a relationship and while choosing someone. So while you're dating someone, I think it's really important to check in 
on a consistent basis. And I don't know if you've ever heard of Logan Yuri, but she has a great thing where she has eight questions that you ask yourself after every date. I think things like that being mindful, because if you don't know what is healthy for you or what you want and what you're looking for, how, how are you going to get that in a relationship, right? And part of that is also knowing what has not worked for me in the past. Yeah, absolutely. And I know, you know, a lot of people that come into recovery, Jennifer, they might have been the toxic person in the relationship, right? So now that they have this awareness, they're sober for a couple of years, they're saying, you know what, like, that's not acceptable behavior anymore. I'm no longer doing this. I'm on a recovery path. I'm working on myself. I'm picking wisely, right? But, uh, but still sometimes not also making the best relationships because they can't identify if they're being emotionally manipulated because they really don't have the they don't have the skills right they they don't have the skills to know that if they're being emotionally manipulated can we talk about that a little bit because we were talking about toxic stuff that's really what you're talking about right you're being emotionally manipulated absolutely and lo look i think especially someone who's had a previous experience with addiction, I think sometimes the pendulum swings, swings the other way where they want to be this like perfect partner. And I think that can make you very susceptible to emotional manipulation because you want to do all these things right. Um, yes, I think emotional manipulation comes up in a lot of ways. And the way you can tell that it comes up is you start to have lower self-esteem. Your mental health will decline, right? You'll start to feel like, anxious or am I not doing enough? Or maybe you will feel symptoms of depression. Like, am I good enough for this relationship? Am I worthy enough? And, you know, mental health and physical health are very much intertwined. So that will affect like fatigue. Are you physically healthy? Are you going to be motivated to do things when you don't feel good enough? And sometimes then when people don't feel good enough, instead of looking at me like, oh, Maybe it's this relationship that's not making me feel good enough or this dynamic. Maybe I need something that's a different fit for me. They just then try harder, right? And then it just kind of leads to this extreme burnout and exhaustion and, and really low self-esteem. Yeah, I, I, I definitely see that. Like when you're talking about the low self-esteem, I think that people also in recovery feel that sometimes they have to make up for things. So they might have had relationships before they come in, and then I see them overcompensate, right? Like, I've worked with people in the past that they've just way overcompensated. I'm like, you know what? You're over, you're oversharing, you're over-communicating, you're over-giving, and it's coming across as, I don't want to say needy, but unauthentic almost. Like, it's it's coming across weird. Yeah, and I think you're, that's exactly what I was saying with the, the pendulum swing, that it's going too far. And I think that's what sets you up for um, emotional manipulation. And nobody wants a partner that doesn't value themselves, right? We want a partner that takes care of themselves, that has their own interests, that has their own career, right? And if they, if we get the sense that they're just giving up everything of them to take care of us and to put effort into us... Human beings don't like that. We find that as a turnoff, right? It's it's attractive to see someone else who has hobbies or that takes good care of themselves or works hard on things that they're passionate about. So you're absolutely right. That that can make someone with a previous history of, of addiction like susceptible to emotional abuse, people-pleasing, overcompensating in those areas. How do you know if you're being emotionally abused? Because I hear this a lot too. Like I've heard people 
uh, that they've been told no. And they're like, I'm being, you know, you see this on TikTok all the time. I'm being emotionally abused. No, that's a boundary. Like somebody set a boundary. They're not emotionally abusing you. They have the right to be able to set a boundary. But how do you know? Because I think I have to tell you, Jennifer, this is the big thing is the knowing, right? Like a lot of people end up in recovery and maybe they didn't have a great relationships when they were out there and they didn't really come from a role model system that they had great role there might have been alcoholism in the family which causes a lot of stuff with boundaries and stuff how how do you know like how do you really identify this it's like you're saying like okay what are some of the signs like hey i'm being emotionally manipulated I think if you're noticing you're feeling guilt or they're using guilt a lot to get you to do things you don't want to do or or get you to not do things that you want to do, I think if you start second guessing yourself a lot, that is a sign of like emotional manipulation, which is part of emotional abuse where you're like, well, I thought I, this really hurt me, but they're saying it shouldn't hurt me and that it wasn't a big deal, but it felt like a big deal to me. Am I crazy? Am I wrong? I think when you start second guessing yourself and you never used to do that, or you're starting to ask yourself, like, am I crazy? There is emotional manipulation and abuse going on. And along with that would would come, and I think this is like across the board with unhealthy relationship, is the deterioration of your mental health. Yeah, you know, I, I I wanted to jump into mental health for a little bit. I want to talk a little bit about relapse and from a therapist's point of view, right? Like, I'm sure you see this going down. You could kind of see it, right? And I know as somebody who's sponsored a lot of people in 12-step and also, co- you know, coach people in 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 that are going through this, especially guys, like I, I deal with a lot of guys. People that listen to this podcast know a lot of men. 20s to early 30s, right? And the number one thing, there's two things that always take people out in early recovery, and it's always money and women, typically, right? Like I see this and I've seen women, it's the same thing, but it's it's less money, it's more it's more men will take them out, right? And they get they tend to say like, okay, in early recovery, they start working on themselves, Jennifer, right? And they're getting there. They're having the breakthrough. They're seeing all the outside things. Then all of a sudden they say, okay, well, you know what? Now this person's going to save me. This person's going to complete me. This I don't have to do the rest of the work because now I'm with this person and it's all going to be okay. And I look at that as a mental health issue. Like that that's thinking incorrectly. Yeah, I think you're spot on with that because I think really good mental health is not waiting for someone to save you or the idea that you can't take care of yourself. Yes, we are social human beings. We thrive in relationships and around friendships and other people, but for you to have good mental health, you have to understand that I have the capability of taking care of myself. And yes, I would love to have a partner that would compliment me and a teammate in life, but relationships actually kind of do the opposite. They make life a little more difficult, right? Even healthy ones, because there's compromise involved. There's a lot of communication. You have to become much more self-aware about how do you say things? Am I defensive when I'm hearing something? So yeah, absolutely. I- I think reminding people that relationships are not going to fix everything for you. They are going to amplify any areas that you are already struggling with, but they're a great opportunity to work through those with a partner that you love. 
Yeah, I think, you know, one of the biggest things that we see, especially in toxic relationships in recovery is, you know, the picking, which we discussed, the overall mental health of, of the person who's doing it. You know, like when I see people who like, hey, they can't hold down a job, right? They can't stay sober. They can't attend meetings regularly. They can't do basic things, but yet their priority is getting into these relationships that 99.9% .9 of the time are just absolute dumpster fires, right? And then when they're in it, it's almost a mental health torture for both sides of the fence, right? For both people. It's just absolutely a train wreck. How do you, um, Jennifer, people that are listening to this, I'm sure it's like going, oh, that's me. I'm in one of the, right? I'm in one of these relationships. How do you de-escalate yourself off of this? I don't even know if that's the right word, but how do you start to move away from that and to start getting that kind of stuff out of your life and starting to make that just not acceptable for you anymore. I think the first thing is really maybe ideally is self-awareness before we're starting to choose. If we're noticing like, Hey, it doesn't seem like I'm making good choices across the board. That probably tells me now is not a good time for me to be choosing a partner that something and I and I don't believe you have to have everything perfect and be good to go before you can be in a relationship. You absolutely can heal and continue to grow with a partner. But if you already notice, like, I'm having a hard time committing to a job, I'm having a hard time showing up for this, I don't seem to be making good decisions then the focus really needs to be on you because how are you going to commit to another person when you can't even commit to yourself to showing up for yourself? So I think ideally that would be the place to begin. But if you're noticing it and you're like, I am in a really unhealthy relationship and it is now making me want to use again. It's making me think about it. I'm no longer going to meetings because I'm just fighting all the time with this person or I'm exhausted and depleted from interacting with them. I think that's a, a really clear indication that this is not help, healthy for you and to kind of pull away from that. And whether that means like, hey, we need to take a break, like I really need to work on me because I'm not contributing in a healthy way to the relationship and the relationship is not contributing in a healthy way to me right now. Um, and that doesn't mean necessarily that, you know, if you are in a relationship, you have to get divorced or break up or anything like that. But there has to be some sort of break where you're pulling away from the stress and the tension of all of it to be able to pull back and focus on taking care of you. For all of you Recovered Life Show listeners who've battled in sobriety and are ready to level up, listen up. I'm offering a week of my accountability coaching absolutely free. This isn't just about day-to-day -day survival. It's about aggressively propelling your life forward. Whether you're new to sobriety or have been sober for years and are struggling to elevate your life, I'm going to be your partner for a week and help you get on track and start living the recovered life you deserve. We're not just talking about setting goals here. We're going to pursue real, tangible breakthroughs in your personal and business life. This is more than recovery. It's about owning your path and seizing the greatness you're destined for. But hurry, spaces are limited. Don't wait. Go to DamonFrank.com and claim your free week and start your journey. It's time to transform survival into thriving. Visit DamonFrank.com and book your free week now.
No, I mean, I think we're talking, if we're going to wrap this up into a phrase, it would be self-awareness, right? And, the, you know, this is something that I think is as people get more sober, right, as their emotional sobriety grows with their physical sobriety, I, I see people have better self-awareness, but still pick incorrectly, right? I want to talk about as your self-awareness goes and you start to realize, hey, there's a problem here with the way that I pick, the relationships that I have, right? Uh, how do you use a therapist to help set up some bumper rails for you? Because like, I'm, I'm going to tell you this. I've noticed a lot with guys, you know, a, a couple people that I'm thinking about you know, right off the bat that I've, you know, done accountability coaching for is, you know, guys will talk with me for five hours a week about what kind of car they're going to purchase or what apartment that they're going to be into. Okay. That have very short term, maybe it's a year, maybe it's right. Like what trip they're going to go on or, or, you know, small little stuff, right? Like what they're doing at the gym, like, Really, so they'll put a lot of time into it. But then when it comes down to actually sitting down to say, okay, what is actually the better relationship for me? And jotting it down, no thought at all. We'll just jump into these here. No thought. At, well, yeah, like, that's crazy. You, look, you're so right on that. And I think that's honestly all of us. Like, it would be really ideal if someone growing up had a class. I mean, like, here are some things you should look for here, are some things that should not you should not look for. And it's almost like when you say that, that reminds me of like even just buying a house. You're going to live in this house. You're going to live with this person. Right. You're committing to them. Yeah. You wouldn't just buy a house without like, let me look and have an inspection. Does it have asbestos? Do I feel sick every time I'm in it? Does it not have enough rooms for the people that's going to be in there? And you're right. There's very little forethought into choosing a partner. And I think therapy can be a beautiful way to do that. If you come into therapy, and usually this is how I, I work with clients is the first few sessions is me getting to know them, but also coming up with very specific goals. And if their goal is, I want to be in a healthy relationship, or I want to learn how to choose a healthy partner for me, right? I think a great way we start is let's look at your past relationships. What went wrong? Where did you miss red flags earlier? What are the warning signs for you where you're like, oh, I should have checked that earlier. Why didn't you check that? Like, why didn't you be like, hey, when they kept like not showing up, I kind of just dismissed it or excused it. What was it the need that you really just wanted to be loved or be in a relationship that you would overlook that? And so next time when we catch ourselves in a relationship where I'm excusing behavior that is not okay with me, we're on the lookout for it. We're much more aware. So I think learning by what didn't work for us in the past and even what did work for us. Yeah. I love that. I, I love how you, how you phrase that about, you know, and it is crazy that, that really there is, it, it's almost like a random spur of the moment pick a lot of the times for people, you know, because I've had conversations, especially with women who I've just become very good friends with in, in 12 step home groups who were have I've seen for a year or two go through and now they're sober and they're like, I'm a homebody and I like to chill and watch Netflix and I like to go hiking and I like to go and I'm going to pick this guy. And because I, I, you know, and it's like, like, I know that guy's like, wow, that is the most unstable, you know, hangs out at the club, like literally picks the opposite of what they really need. 
Is that a sign of some sort of inner trauma, Jennifer? I have to ask you from a dog therapeutics and fan. Like, what's going on there? What why do people do this? It's it can be two things. Yes, it could absolutely be trauma. It could be, you know, this is how I interacted with my parent growing up, and I really want to subconsciously get it right, that relationship right this time. So I'm gonna pick more people like that so I can achieve that and feel that sense of like value and worth. Um, and I don't think people are actively consciously doing that, but I think it also can be, we don't really know what it is that will make us happy in a relationship. So if we're like, I value hiking, like you talked about. So now one of my deal breakers is if you don't hike, well, you can have a lovely relationship with someone who's got great mental health, who's kind, who's supportive, who's generous. And who's maybe willing to go on a hike once in a while, but that's not his thing. And you can still have friends or join groups to hike, right? Like, what percentage of your life are you actually even hiking? Like, is the hiking thing going to matter if, let's say, you get a diagnosis of cancer? Wouldn't you rather have a person that's supportive and going to show up for you? So I think coming back to the, the point of that is picking someone with good mental health. And like really looking at what do you really value? Yes, it would be a nice extra if this person liked to hike or even if they just have the kind spirit, they're willing to do it with us once in a while, but really that they have good mental health. And what you're talking about is like, they're not staying out all night and partying. They go to bed early, which can seem like not fun, but it's because they want to get up early in the morning and they want to work out and they want to meditate and they want to have a slow entry to their day. So I think... The crux of it is you want to pick somebody with good mental health. Yeah, I think it's like this whole thing is like, what do I need and what do I want? Right. Like you see things that you 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 might relationships that you might want to be in. And then what do I need? Like and I even see this in friendships, Jennifer, like, you know, I think after covid, there's been a lot of people I know I've been one where I had I was much more active socially around other people. The other day I turned around and I was like, oh, man, I have not been out of I haven't been outside. It like I like time to go outside, like I'm going to go walk the dogs or do right. Like I need to be around other people like because I've realized, like, even though I like certain things about being isolated i need i know that i need other people in my life because i need the input from other people and i need the, i need the back and forth from other people yeah I, my life is better right so can we talk about a little bit about how as a therapist you work with people to identify what they really need as opposed to what they might just be outwardly attracted to i know that's a huge question no, no, no. But it's it's an important question. And it's a great, a great question. I think really working on their values. Sometimes I'll actually have, um, I'll put on a list. Brene Brown does this list of values and I have them narrow it down to five. And so they eliminate like half and then they eliminate half of that. And sounds like a really easy thing to do, but people prioritizing what are your five most important values is actually really difficult because you'll look at all of them and you'll be like, I actually like all of these. I don't want to give up any. I think also looking at what do you want your actual day-to-day -day life to look like, right? Like, how do you want to feel with this person? Not like, do they look good? Because look, we're all getting old, we're all aging, and I'll go back to the, the cancer diagnosis. If I get cancer, I don't really care what you look like. If you look amazing and you're George Clooney, but you're not there for me, that's not that important, right? Plus, I think when someone's funny and we like them and we feel supported by them, they instantly become more attractive. But I think really analyzing how do I want my day to daily life to look? So if I'm like, I'm an early bird and 
you know, I want a partner that gets up and walks with me or that at least is up early and we're on the same schedule. I'm not going to pick a guy that's super hot and that's out partying every night. Like that's not because I'm not going to see him anyways. It doesn't matter how great he looks. But I think figuring out what do you want your day to day life to look like? But also, I know I said this before, so it sounds repetitious, but going back to your past relationships and okay, let's say the last partner you had was extremely good looking, but you were crying every other day or you were fighting. You never felt loved. You felt alone in the relationship. Those things are good indicators of what you need. So what makes you feel not lonely in a relationship? Are you not getting enough physical affection? Does this person like like physical affection? Are you not getting enough words of affirmation? I think figuring out what was what worked before and what didn't work before gives you a really good indication of what is important in a relationship for you in the future. I love that. And with the self-awareness in more emotional recovery comes better communication and you're able to communicate that in. Um, you know, I, I want to talk a little bit about uh, about people that are sober getting into relationships with people who are not in recovery. I, you know, I, I know that was a huge that was a huge deal for for me. And I know one of the boundaries that I had to kind of put up, you know, uh, when I was dating and then eventually got married was like, hey, like, I'm never going to be able to drink again, ever. And I can't be around in my home people who are excessive drinkers, people who are problem drinkers, people that are binge drinkers, uh, people who are alcoholic. I can't. Now, social drinkers, I have my whole family is social. Like, I, I have no problem with that, right? That, that's something that didn't bother me because, you know, but I had to be have somewhat of control over that, even though I had many years of sobriety, right? Um, and I felt like that was something that was like a deal breaker for me that I had to communicate on the top of my list because if I couldn't stay sober, right? If I was in a position like in the morning, I'm very vulnerable. Like, right? So I don't want to walk out and see alcohol all over the time, right? You know what I mean? Like, that's just something people had to be in my life. And I have friends like that, too. I've had to let go of friends. And I was like, you know what, man, you're just not, you put me in bad situations. And even though I'm not tempted, I don't want to, I'm not going to go there. Like, it's a boundary. Like, I just don't need that in my life, right? How important is that to communicate that effectively? Because I see a lot of people, Jennifer, get into relationships and recovery and never have that conversation. And then, then two or three years into it, the person is like, what? Like, I like binge drinking their partner, right? Like, and it becomes intolerable. How important is it to have that open communication about you being in recovery? And when should you have that? Um, I think that's extremely important because look, I think sometimes we're, we're hoping that people are mind readers and that should be a given if like, well, they know that I'm sober you think that they would assume that they can't do this. And that's not necessarily true. Um, or, or we're afraid to tell them. I think if it's something you want, and this is the life that you know is going to best suit you in the environment that's going to suit you the best to have the best quality of life you could possibly have, you absolutely need to communicate that to the other person. And does that have to be the first date? Maybe not necessarily, but it needs to be really early on. And you would, we would hope that you would want that, right? Like, Because if this person isn't okay with that, wouldn't you much rather eliminate them from the, the possibilities early on than get attached and have like feelings for them and have spent all this time with them to find out, oh God, they're not the right fit? 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think it is so important because, you know, like I always say on the show and in life, if I can't stay sober, I can't create anything else. So I have to stay sober first, and then I can create other things. But if I'm not sober, I'm not going to be able to create anything. Um, Jennifer, final thoughts here. If somebody's listening to this podcast and they're saying, you know, man, all of my relationships have always been a dumpster fire. They've all been kind of toxic. I now have the self-awareness. I don't really want to live like that anymore. What would be the message that you would that you would tell them? Is there hope out there? Oh, absolutely. I think they're ahead of the game in the fact that they're aware of it, they're realizing it, and they want to make change. And, and that's really everything. And I think, obviously, as a therapist, I'm a huge proponent of therapy, but whether it's with a therapist, a life coach, maybe even your relig religious organization, but writing about it, figure some way that works for you to process out like, what didn't go well in those last relationships? Was I just picking because sometimes people have seven relationships that didn't go well, and they feel like, oh, well, it's must must be me. Usually, sometimes those seven people are essentially the same person, right? They're picking the same type of person over. So it's not like it's, oh, something's wrong with you. Nobody likes you. It's let's find a way to pick a better choice for you. But there is absolutely hope. And I think just owning it, taking accountability and having the awareness and the desire to change, you're already halfway there. I love that. I love that. Jennifer Kaplan, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Guys, we're going to put notes on how you can get in touch with Jennifer in the show notes. So you can click on that and connect with her directly as well as we'll put some of her social channels on there. Jennifer, thanks so much for coming on the show today. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. It was a wonderful experience. Sometimes addiction recovery can be a lonely battle, but you don't have to fight it alone. At Recovered Life, we're dedicated to helping you live your best recovered life. And that's why we're inviting you to subscribe to our free weekly newsletter. Every week, we carefully curate exclusive content from leading minds in addiction recovery, mental health, and all things important to the recovery lifestyle. Stay in the know with the latest news about addiction and get exclusive invitations to specially recovery-focused events and explore insights tailored to support recovery from alcoholism, drug addiction, codependency, disordered eating, dysfunctional family dynamics, gambling, and so much more. With our newsletter, each week becomes an opportunity for growth, healing, and taking a step closer to the life you deserve. Take your first step towards a brighter future today. Go to recoveredlife.us and subscribe for free. Sign up now at recoveredlife.us. Dot us.